He made the story a little bit more famous um, when he starred in the movie based on um, his name. But, but Tom Hanks played uh, Captain Sully Solenberg, who uh, landed his plane in the Hudson River in 2009. And um, we, most of you know the story. Maybe you've seen the movie before. Um, but I, I saw an interview back in, in 2009 after that had happened with um, Captain Soli and his co-pilot and a couple of their flight attendants. And um, the interviewer eventually got to the question, um, what was going on, not in the cockpit, but what was going on in the cabin when all of that was happening, when they were making the emergency landing on the Hudson River? And, and the flight attendant said, well, it was very, very quiet. And, and I could just tell that that pretty much everybody was praying. And when I heard that, I thought, I bet they were, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, it, it, it's this moment in time where, um, you know, Captain Solenberg didn't have to come over the intercom and say, hey, we're crash landing the Hudson River. Would you please pray? Everybody was already praying. Like, people who hadn't prayed for a long time were praying. They were praying things and counting things and rubbing things, whatever they needed to do to get that plane on the ground, Right? And, and, and if you're a pilot, you know, bear with the rest of us who are not as, you know, comfortable with turbulence as you are. But if, if you've ever flown and experienced like major turbulence or, or maybe the plane had an issue mid-flight, isn't it interesting? You got really spiritual in that moment. Like you were as holy as you had ever been in that moment, like the devil himself could plop down right beside you and try and tempt you and you would ignore, you would, you've forgiven things and loving things and like you're crying with the person next to you, praying everything because in, in the moments that spin out of control, in the moments that become uncertain, everybody looks up. Everybody, doesn't matter what you believed before that moment, everybody Looks up. In fact, I'd, I'd, I'd go so far as to say God gets more done with uncertainty than he does with certainty. He gets more done in individual lives and national lives internationally. When, when things go upside down, when things become really, really uncertain, then he does during times of certainty, during times that, that are problem-free. And as, as Pastor Bob reminded us last week, there are times when we question God, there are times when we doubt God, but at least in questioning him and doubting him, we're moving in his direction. I'd rather do that than be apathetic towards God. But, but there's just something that, that he gets our undivided attention when things get really uncertain, which is why I think scripture is more relevant than it's been for a long time for a lot of people. Because we're experiencing one of the most uncertain seasons in our lifetimes, and it's not just a few of us. It's not just a few families or a portion of our society. Like, this is an all-skate. Like, we're all facing this. And the Bible is so relevant because it's a, re it's a record of God's certainty in uncertain times. Like, your favorite Bible story, the story you know the best, you know, your favorite passage, happened in, in the midst of extraordinary uncertainty. It's not uncertain for us because we can read the, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end. But the people who were living through it were thinking, oh my goodness, is, is he even paying attention? Is, is, is he involved at all? Is he going to show up in, in a way that's actually going to help us over and over and over again? You read of men and women who recognize God's hand in the, in, in the midst of activity that was just so, so uncertain. Like, did you know like what we're experiencing right now in biblical terms, 
is normal? Like biblically, from a biblical perspective, uncertainty is just normal. You find it over and over and over and over again. So I just want to throw up one verse on the screen. We're actually going to come back to this next week, but it sets us up for where we're going this week. This is Romans 8.28. It says this, And we know that in all things, and just so we're clear, all things includes a global pandemic. All things includes your presidential candidate winning or losing. All things includes beating cancer or dying of cancer. All things includes being able to have as many kids as you want and not being able to have any of your own. All things includes selling the house and not being able to sell the house. All things includes all things. Paul says in all things, God works or he's at work. For the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Scripture repeatedly talks about this. Some of you have experienced this before. But Paul says it so well right here. God is at work in all things at all times, but for some reason he gets more done in uncertain times. But here's a question I want to answer. I ask today. Hopefully answer it. What do you do in the meantime? Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're in the middle of it and there's nothing you can do? What, do you, what are you supposed to do when the uncertainty becomes more uncertain? Hey, what are you supposed to do if 2020 ends and 2021 is even worse? I keep on hearing people say, I just can't wait till 2021 gets here. Maybe. <laughs> like, we don't know. What do you do? What are you supposed to do when it looks like it's not going to, you know, it's not going to get better? What are you supposed to do when it looks like it's getting worse? What do you do in the meantime? And here's the great news. God actually answers that question for us. He actually gives us an answer to that question. So if you have your Bible or a mobile device and you want to follow along, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Philippians today, okay? Philippians is in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a town called Philippi. Um, and I, I just got to give you what's going on behind the scenes, because who wrote this and what was going on in his life is what makes it so powerful. Like, if I were to sit up here and to tell you this, like it was from me, you'd go, yeah, maybe, that was good, but I don't think I can, ah, whatever. But the guy who wrote this and what he was going through was what makes it so credible. So let me give you a snapshot of what's going on. And we talked about this a few months ago. Um, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, left Jerusalem to spread the gospel all over the place. And he was so tenacious, he was so passionate, God was with him in such a real way that Paul was able to convince a pagan Hellenistic people to completely, you know, discard everything that they'd learned about God or the gods their entire life all around the Mediterranean rim and put their faith and trust in Jesus as Savior. And then he would connect these people in these little gatherings, these little assemblies called ecclesias, little churches, right? And, and, and through a series of events, Paul ends up back in Jerusalem where he actually gets attacked by a mob in the temple because of what he was teaching. They drag him outside the city, getting ready to basically beat him to death. Um, somebody calls the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities show up and they arrest him. And in arresting him, it's like good news, bad news. Uh, good news is you're not going to die. Bad news is you're now arrested. And, and in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all that, Paul tells them, hey, I'm actually a Roman citizen, which is a game changer. 
because Roman citizens had a different set of laws than just normal old Jewish people. And so Paul um, appeals to his Roman citizenship. He finds himself on a ship sailing for Rome. Okay, he's under arrest. He's chained to the bottom of a first century ship. This is not the Royal Caribbean, right? This is a first century ship. A storm pops up, blows them out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. They're lost at sea for two weeks. Eventually, they're shipwrecked for three months. Things are going great for Paul. He eventually gets to Rome. He's under house arrest. It took two years for his trial to even start. He's under arrest for two years. And eventually, while he's under arrest, he begins to write these letters that we know of as Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. He's writing these letters back to these churches, to these people that he knew. So the verses we're getting ready to read were written by Paul while he was in prison after experiencing all of that, which is just important to know. Because what he's about to say to the church in Philippi just sounds impractical. It sounds like pie in the sky. It's like, who is this guy? What is he talking about? But we can't really argue because whatever they were facing, whatever you're facing, whatever we're facing, you don't really want to tell your story before Paul told his. Have you ever done that before? Like you're telling a story about your cable going out during the game and the guy next to you is like, well, my six-year-old son has leukemia. It's like, ugh, why did I even open my mouth, Right? Like, whatever you've got, Paul's got a better story. He's got a different story. He's, he's, he's got so much more that he's dealt with. So, so that's what this guy has to say about uncertainty. And, and here's what he has to say specifically about what do you do in the meantime? What do you do when, when, when the uncertainty starts and when it ends? What do you do in the meantime? Here we go. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let's pray and go home. There it is, right there. This is, this is one of the parts where I just want to push back and say, like, always? Like, have you ever lived through a global pandemic, Paul? Always? And, and if he would have just said, rejoice always, we could kind of discount this as this 2,000 years old and life is so much more, you know, and it's just so much more complicated now than it is. But he doesn't, he doesn't end there. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Well, let's, let's talk about that. If we take out in the Lord and put something else there, it totally makes sense. Rejoice in the stock market. Always. Right? Rejoice in your children. Always. Re rejoice in the fact that your candidate was elected president. About half the United States is going to be able to do that here in about a week. Right? Rejoice. In your new car, rejoice in your engagement, rejoice in your scholarship, rejoice in the fact that you made the team. We know what it means to rejoice in. Rejoicing in is focusing on good news to the point that our emotions associated with it begin to affect how we live. That's what rejoicing is. People ask you why you're so happy, and you tell them, I made the team, I got the job, my kids didn't fight on the way to church today. <laughs> rejoice in. Paul is saying, I want you to focus. I want you to, to, to focus on God's grace and mercy that's been extended to you until it affects you at an emotional level. That, 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 that allow the reality of what God has done on your behalf to wash over you so much that you feel the emotions associated with that great news. Reflect 
focus on, think about, consider God's grace and mercy in your life until your emotions catch up with that. See, like this is one of the reasons we sing when we come together, right? Like some of you love to sing. Um, some of you love to hear other people sing. Some of you have been instructed not to sing, <laughs> right? But, but one of the reasons we come together is because the truth in these songs remind us of what God has done on our behalf in history. And when you pair that with music, it, it, it's an emotional response, it, it pairs with this, and it, it, it reaches us at an emotional level. It's an emotional response, an emotional expression to God's goodness and grace in our lives. It's why we just cheered for Grayson and Piper. We don't sit here all reverently and, oh, yes, that's good. No, we're excited. <laughs> they just made the decision to follow Jesus, so we're going to cheer for that. We're going to emotionally express that because not only because of what God has done in their life, it reminds us of what he's done in ours, right? Like we just don't get baptized. You are baptized. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. So it's an emotional, and you say, Tim, that's all good and great. But when I leave here, I can't take the band home with me. I don't think the, my boss is going to like it if I like set it up in the lobby. It just, it's not the same as when I go home. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But it shows you one of the reasons why Paul said always. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's difficult for some of us when we leave this place because we have so many other things to rejoice in. There's so many other things to rejoice in. It's not a matter of God's grace and mercy changing. It's a matter of our focus. It's a matter of our attention because we got games to watch. We got, we got houses to decorate. We got jobs to do. We got kids to raise. We got virtual school to be frustrated with. We got vacations to plan. We got toys to play with, social media to peruse. So many other things that capture our attention. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it interesting? And I'm just meddling now. Isn't it interesting when those things get taken away? or become less certain as they have over the last seven months that some of our joy has gone away too? See, that's, that's because when your joy is attached to things that are uncertain and you lose those, you lose your joy. Which is why Paul says, hey, maybe you should rethink what you're rejoicing in. Maybe you should rejoice in the Lord always, not just on Sunday morning for an hour. And remember, Paul wrote that in prison. Next part. It kind of seems to be out of place, but it's not. Verse 5. Let your gentleness or your kindness be evident to all the Lord is near. Don't let hard times harden your heart. Don't let the harshness of circumstances affect your kindness. Come on, Jesus followers. And I'm only talking to you if you're a Jesus follower. If you're not, you can tune this out. But Jesus followers, there should be something unique about how we treat people in uncertain times. There should be a kindness. There should be a gentleness that's evident, that's obvious, that's clear to all. It, it, it's, it's whenever they see how you respond or what you post on Facebook, on social media, they shouldn't go, hmm, are they being gentle there? No, it should be obvious. It should be clear to all people. 
And here's the part where I have to lean on Paul because there's no way I'd sit up here and tell you this. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Let me say it this way. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, those of you who worry a lot, those of you who get stressed out a lot, you have people in your life who say things like this, right? Okay? No elbows. Don't turn and look at them. No side eyes. Okay? You, you, you talk about what you're stressed out about. You talk about what you're worried about. And they look at you and they say something like that. Well, just don't worry about it. And you want to punch them in the throat, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I've had that look before. I have said, don't worry, just don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> Would you say that again so I can write it down? Yeah. Don't worry about it. What? That's not what Paul's saying. Okay? Yeah, he is saying, do not be anxious about anything. But he's smart enough to know you can't stay there. You can't leave it there. So in the next couple of verses... He's going to unpack the, the secret to handling uncertainty without letting it, the uncertainty control you. Like this, is the, this is the prescription. This is the antidote for what to do in extraordinarily uncertain times. And I'll say this before we look at it. If you hear this, and after, after you hear this, you think, I just don't think that'll work for me, Tim. That's great that Paul said that. It's great that, you know, you pastors and all the super Christians, I'm sure they do that really well, but it just doesn't work for me. If your response is anything like that after we're done looking at it, I'd simply ask you this. How do you respond to uncertainty? And is it working for you? Like, how have you responded over the last seven months? And is it working for you? Like, Really? The, the self-medicating, the, the running away from the issue, the, the completely enveloping into yourself, is, is that really working for you? See, Paul says, here's another way. Here's another option. He doesn't say, just quit worrying. Listen to the rest of it. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, pandemic situation, job situation, school situation, parenting situation, election situation, this can be applied in every situation. Every time you're faced with anxiety, every time you're overwhelmed with uncertainty, he's not saying don't worry about it. He's saying don't worry about it and do this instead. With prayer and petition, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, if you read this as, okay, don't be anxious about anything but pray, you missed it. You missed it, okay? Pray. It's like, what, have I, what do you think I've been doing for the past seven months, Tim? If you're telling me the solution to uncertainty is, to anxiety is prayer, that's not helpful because I've been doing that. But, but let's just look at it again. Let's kind of walk through it slowly. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and he doesn't stop there because that's not what he's talking about, and petition. Well, isn't that the same as prayer? Kind of, but he's leading us somewhere. With thanksgiving, that's the posture, that's the attitude we take in prayer. And we know that, what, what, what thanksgiving means. And then he uses a word that's not a prayer word, and I'm going to try to explain as best as I can. He uses the word present, which literally means to reveal. It's a Greek word normally used in the context of solving a mystery. Okay, so Paul is saying, look, I don't want you to just pray like, God, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me, fix this, fix that. Would you get us out of this? Instead of just worrying and praying about it, just staying there, I want you to spend the necessary time figuring out for yourself and then revealing to God 
what it is you really, 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 like at the deep heart level, what you really desire. Because see, on the surface, you want COVID to go away. But what, what do you really desire? On the surface, you want your kids to go back to school five days a week. But what do you really desire? On the surface, you want so-and-so to be elected president. But come on, what's really below that? On the surface, you want a different job. What's, what's behind that request? On the surface, what is driving the, the, the request underneath? Don't just tell God what you want. Reveal to him why you want it from that deepest, most intimate desire of your heart. That's the antidote. That's the direction to go for anxiety. Let me dig a little bit deeper. Isn't it true? Like times of uncertainty surface our deepest insecurities. Like when life gets uncertain, our greatest fears rise to the surface. And very few people pray at the level of insecurity and fear. Most people pray at the level of wants and needs. And if you stay at the level of wants and needs, you never get to the surface, below the surface. And I think Paul would say you can pray that way if you want, but it's not going to help. Especially when life gets really uncertain. Especially if you're not sure how it's going to turn out, when you experience things you've never dealt with before, nobody else really knows how to deal with it, and we're not really sure how it's going to turn out. Paul says instead, I, I just want you to go to God and say, God, here's what I want, here's why I want it, and here's what I'm afraid is going to happen if you don't. Here's what I want. Here's why I want it. And here's, why, here's what I'm afraid is going to happen if you don't actually come through. He's, he's teaching us, yes, pray and petition, yes, absolutely. With thanksgiving, yes. But ultimately, reveal to God something you've never revealed to him before because maybe you've never revealed it to yourself before. What's the why underneath the what? Here, here's what I wrote in my notes. When I move past, help me, bless me, provide for me and my family, what's behind all those legitimate requests comes to the surface. My need for security. My need for comfort. My need to feel important. Anybody else there? My need to be viewed a certain way by my peers. My need to be viewed a certain way by my kids. My fear that perhaps God isn't paying attention. Paul says, come on, come on. I want you to dig all that stuff up. I want you to get to that stuff. I want you to move past, God, please help me find my car keys. And spend the time necessary until you understand the deepest, darkest, most hidden desires, fears, and insecurities, and bring that to God to answer the question, you know, why is that such a big deal? Why are you worried about that? Why? Not just what, what, what. Why, 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 why? And here's, here's, the, here's the result of that. Here's what Paul says will happen when you do. And the peace of God. Now, there's obviously a different kind of peace than the peace of circumstances because he says the peace of God. We've all experienced the peace of circumstances, right? 2019 was full of peace of circumstances. It was easy, right? Circumstances are great. You know, I got peace. We had a great date. Got another one scheduled for next week. I got peace. There's that peace that comes and goes, right? 
Paul's talking about the peace of God that can be experienced in the midst of uncertainty. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard um, means stand watch over. So maybe, you know, maybe the reason we're so anxious in times of uncertainty is because we haven't asked God to stand guard over our hearts and minds. We've just sent him out to guard our jobs or guard our health or guard the stock market or guard the, you know, whatever it is that's out there. What if instead, I, I think this is what Paul's saying, what if you shifted your focus? And what if you ask God to stand guard over your hearts and your minds and let that affect how you view everything else? What, what if you could find a peace that's certain in the midst of uncertainty? Wouldn't that be something? What if you learned to pray in such a way that at the end of your prayer, you found peace? Paul is teaching. In times of uncertainty, we are to pray until the peace comes. Not until the world changes, because the world may not change. Not until you get out of prison, because he never got out of prison. Not until your candidate is elected, because that may not happen. But God has promised that you can pray until his peace comes. And we don't get there by saying, God, here's what I want. We get there by saying, God, here's why I want that. And here's what I'm afraid will happen if you don't. And I guess the reason I'm so afraid is because I'm insecure. And I guess I never really learned to trust you. And God says, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I'll move in close there. You allow me into those areas of your heart and you'll emerge into the same uncertain world that you came in praying about but you'll emerge a different person. The world didn't change. You did. I love, I love what C.S. Lewis says about prayer. He says, I've learned that prayer isn't about changing God. <laughs> I've learned that prayer is about changing me. And that's different. That's different. Now, I want to give you a head start on this, okay? If, you don't, if you're not sure what to do with this, we'll throw these on the screen. Two fill-in-the-blank statements to help you kind of get started, okay? Here's a place to start if you're not sure where to start, okay? First statement is this. Heavenly Father... I need you to fill in the blank. That's where prayer starts. I need you to help me with this, change that, provide here, provide there. I need you to, and that list can be really, really long, or it can be one or two things, right? Just depends on what's going on. Heavenly Father, I need you to. But the second part is where the magic happens. It's not magic. I shouldn't say that. Okay? Second part is where, where the, the closeness comes, all right? Second part is this. If you don't, I'm afraid that. If you don't, I'm afraid that, hey, come on, what are you afraid of? Don't answer now. <laughs> that would be weird, okay? What, what are you most insecure about? And just go ahead and start, like, with, with the great, your greatest anxiety. Start with the thing that you're most afraid about, the thing your mind automatically goes to whenever you, you're not thinking about anything. What is that? And what are you afraid will happen if he doesn't do something about that. Because come on, your greatest fears parallel, reveal, uncover your deepest desires. And I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, there is peace available for those who get to that level of honesty and intimacy with their heavenly father. Paul the prisoner promised it. 
In fact, let's just do this. If you're here in the room with me, or if you're in the, in the tandem venue, you can play along. If you're watching this online, feel free to play along too. We just won't see you do this. You'd say, Tim, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced that kind of peace in extraordinarily uncertain things. If, if you would just do the rest of us a favor and testify to that in your life, would you just raise your hand if you've ever experienced that? Raise them high. Yeah, go ahead. See, this isn't just preacher talk, Right? Like, this is still available. This, this isn't magic. This isn't hocus pocus. This is something your Heavenly Father invites you into. A new level, a new place of intimacy that you may never get to until your world gets really uncertain. When life is uncertain, God is certain. And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? We're to pray until the peace comes. God has not lost control. He hasn't fallen asleep. Okay, but what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, I guess you can live anxiety-ridden or you can learn to pray until the peace comes. And when you discover, when you discover that amazing peace that surpasses and defies human comprehension, you will know your heavenly Father in a place and a time and a level you never have, which is what he's after, by the way. That's what he's after. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. And you may look back on your circumstance and go, I, I would never sign up for that again. But I would never trade it for anything, for what I learned about myself and what I learned about him. And there are people sitting all around you, in this room, watching this online, that can say that ex exact same thing. When times are difficult, when life is uncertain, when the world goes crazy, we've been given the opportunity, we've been invited to pray until the peace comes. Now, next week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what, it, what does it look like to have hope in a hopelessly broken world. This is the message pre-election. How do you find hope? And what seems to be, that was not a joke. I'm really going to preach about that next week. I really am. What does it look like to find hope in a hopelessly broken world? So don't miss next week, all right? Let me pray for you, and we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, thank you um, for your word. Uh, for some of us, this is a reminder. For others of us, we're, we're thinking of a time. We're thinking of a moment. We're thinking of a season that we used to be in, or maybe we're in right now, where life we, we were so desperate in that moment. We had no place to turn other than you. And somehow we emerged from that time alone with you with, with a peace that didn't make any sense to anybody, including us. But it was your peace that we experienced in that moment. Father, for those who are maybe hearing this today and it's, it's a little new, a little bit far out, a little bit ethereal, would you give them the courage to wrestle with you at, at that most honest, transparent level maybe they never have before? Would you help them discover things about themselves they've never been able to admit, maybe even things they've never known before? And as they hand those off to you, would you reward them with the, that, that strange but sure peace that only comes from you? And God, we would love for all of the things around us to turn around. <laughs> we would love for our world to become a, a whole lot more certain than it is right now. And we're going to continue to pray that. But in the meantime, I'm praying that you'd get maximum mileage out of the uncertainty in each of our lives. 
that we wouldn't waste it and that we would emerge from this season with extraordinary, unshakable, certain faith and character and peace that defies everything going on around us. Thank you. Man, thank you for inviting us into this, into this kind of conversation, into this kind of relationship with you. God, give us the courage to begin. We ask all this, we pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen.